by Marvell Sardoux, where we are redefining the standard of care and breast health and improving the quality of life post-diagnosis. I'm your host, Zayana Hansen, and the founder of this incredible organization. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have Kristen Zeldowski. Did I do it? She is a breast cancer survivor, a mom, and more importantly, she takes care of my doggie. She's a veterinarian. Welcome to the show, Kristen S. Just gonna say Kristen S. I see. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start the show first. First of all, I'm gonna acknowledge that it took us about an hour to figure out our technology. The show and Kristen's been so patiently waiting um, that we owe her a beer. I think here at Barbell Shrew Boobs, but um. okay, I'll take you up on that. I'm in. So my first question always is: Tell the world who you are. Um, I am, you know, it, it's funny. It's, I'm the same person now as I was before I had breast cancer. Like I'm still, you know, a daughter and a sister and a wife and a mom and a veterinarian and a CrossFitter and a scuba diver. But like now I have breast cancer. So that's really like the only difference. It's the only difference. <laughs> Let's add this layer on. So where, like, where did you grow up? Where, I know that you live in New Jersey. So like where, take us back to like, where were you born? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, which is kind of the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. Like when you think Amish and horse and buggies and farms and yeah, that's where I grew up. (laughs) And then um, I did my undergrad down in Baltimore and then grad school, I went to Penn and then I ended up in New Jersey. I wasn't planning on ending up in New Jersey, but that's just kind of where it happened. So, and you're married, daughter. I am. I am. I have a very feisty little five-year-old girl who will probably come in and say hi at some point in some princess dress or sparkly skirt or something. <laughs> <laughs> Excited for that. I've, I've definitely um, seen her pop in a few times on, on a Zoom class here and there. <laughs> no, she loves the Zoom classes. <laughs> so does my son. <laughs> yeah, they're so cute. Yeah, so um, so I think that you know, I think that your story is is one that I'm I'm excited to talk about on our podcast because it was I think that you came into our community right when COVID hit and you were diagnosed right around COVID time. And as we were optimizing, how do we support women at home? Um, and when I heard your story and when I knew you popped into a Zoom class, I was like, this is exactly why we're here. <laughs> it's for this. <laughs> so like how I, um, when were you diagnosed? When was your diagnosis date? I was diagnosed January of 2020. <laughs> Boom. Like January 9th. <laughs> so was it an annual screening or like how did, where did the diagnosis come from? No. 
So I had my daughter um, when I was 40 and I had gone for yearly checkups and everything was fine. Um, and we had stopped breastfeeding in like March of 2019. And I think April or May was when I went for my annual exam. Everything seemed fine. And they'd given me the script for the mammogram, but I, they said, eh, you know, dry up for like three to six months because when you're breastfeeding, the milk will interfere with the way they can read the mammogram. So, you know, let everything dry up and then go. All right, fine. And it was in October that I felt a lump in my right breast. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it. Like, oh, it's just a milk duct. Everything's fine. Whatever. Um, kind of ignored it. And in December, my husband was like, did you know this was there? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you should get that checked out. I'm like, okay. So I called and I got the mammogram and, you know, of course they were like, oh, you're going to need to come back for, you know, more imaging. That's kind of when the whole thing started. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I went for the second mammogram and the ultrasound. And again, I'm thinking, oh, it's just a blocked milk duct. It's fine. Um, you know, they do the mammogram, they do the ultrasound, they're looking, they're looking, they're looking and everything's done. And so I'm sitting there with all this like ultrasound goo on my chest and they give you this paper towel and I'm not sure what's supposed to happen with this paper towel. It doesn't absorb anything, but whatever. <laughs> and I'm waiting to hear, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. And instead I hear, you know, she says, you have a mass in your breast. I'm like, yeah. She's like, you need to get a biopsy. I'm like, okay. And then, and then she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, it's okay. You're going to live. And my brain went, what? You mean there's alternatives? Like that was kind of my first sign that this is going to be a something really bad. That's like a, so. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, I, I feel like everyone has their, and then this is why we do this podcast because I feel like everyone has their own story and and the different like bedside manners in the medical world and, you know, and it's really like kind of who you end up with that day and where their attitude is and how their day went. Oh, totally. And I couldn't even imagine being a healthcare provider that sees these things and has to talk to a woman about a newly, you know, a new diagnosis like this and uh, a life changing moment in their life. But come on. <laughs> Because, like, I mean, that's the one advantage of, like, both my husband and I are veterinarians. So the medical part of it doesn't freak us out. So, yeah, there's something you don't quite know what it is. You biopsy mm -hmm. it. I get it. But, yeah. <laughs> I was this, so, so I know that you said that you were 40 when you got pregnant. So was this your very first mammogram ever? No. My mom had breast cancer actually back in 2011. Um, she had a whole different thing. She was postmenopausal. She was 63. Um, she had a different type of breast cancer, um, but she had gone through it. And then because of that, I was recommended to get a mammogram. And I had one when I was my, I guess my late thirties and everything seemed fine. It's like, you have dense breasts. I'm like, yeah, I know. But that was, you know, that was the last one for, yeah, for a while. And so how old were you when, when you went, when you finally decided that 
it, that basically when your husband told you to <laughs> take care of yourself, like how, cause it was, I, was <laughs> I know I was 44. Okay. So they do a biopsy yeah. on you. What was the next like part in the diagnosis? Oh, so the biopsy, that was its own really funny story. I mean, when you talk about like looking for the good in things, and I remember my mom saying this when she went through it, you just, there are some really funny things that happen that you're not going to expect. Mm. So, you know, I had read books on what to expect. None of this, it didn't tell me. So I go for the biopsy and it's kind of like, I guess it depends where you have your mask. Cause for me, it was like this weird yoga thing where you're lying on your side, but you turn your hips this way, you turn your chest this way, you put your arm up behind your head, and this one goes down. It was the weirdest thing, you know, and I'm, we're, I'm laughing with the radiologist. We're all joking and having a good time. And so they numb you with a little bit of lidocaine, mm-hmm. and then they do this biopsy. And the biopsy, it sounds like a loud snapping noise when they do it. It's like a big, like right by your ear. So they take it and then they're like, oh, we're going to implant you with a marker. Hmm? So apparently, and I didn't know this, when they do a biopsy, they put a marker in. So they get an idea of like where they biopsy, like in case they have to go back and do another sample or whatever. And they're like, and you're going to, we're going to implant you with a little ribbon shaped one. I'm like, oh, so of course I have to get nosy. I'm like, well, what other shapes do you have? (laughs) Oh, you know, we have like little top hat things. We have ones that look like little stars and little diamonds. I'm like, Oh, do you have a unicorn with rainbows? Like, like, just a unicorn? They're like, no, just rainbows? No. They're like, you get a ribbon. I get a ribbon. (laughs) You get a ribbon. (laughs) I had to find out. So, you know, the biopsy was fine. And this was kind of my second clue that things were going to be really bad is that radiologist gave me his personal cell phone number and said, feel free to call or text me at any time. And I went, oh, shit. Wow. This isn't good. So at this point now, you're like, I'm assuming about a week into all of the screening process. At any point, did you have a gut feeling or was that the moment that your gut was like, okay, wait a minute. Like, I think that was the moment that my gut was like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. I better prepare myself. Good. This is not just a black milk doctor, a cyst or something. Like, this is a problem. So, and then, you know, what do they say? Bad news travels quickly. You know, within 36 hours, I got the call. You, know, you have carcinoma. And it's like, okay. You know, it's funny. There's certain things you remember so vividly. Like I remember I was driving, I dropped my daughter off at school and I had to go to Lowe's to pick up something and I'm driving back home and it was like, oh, the phone rings. I was like, ah. I remember my GYN saying, you know, are you okay to drive? I'm like, yeah, you know, I was two miles from home. I'm fine. I can get home. Mm -hmm. And of course, the first call I made was I called my husband. I'm like, so... He's like, I'm coming home from work. And I'm like, you don't have to come home. I'm okay. He's like, no, I'll be home in 10 minutes. And I was like, okay. And I think I was still kind of in shock. You know, when you're the, when you're the patient, you just kind of go with it. But being the support group is really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was, he was, he was a mess when he got home. Like 
he was really, really upset more than I, I was surprised. Cause I was still like probably in shock. Like mm-hmm. what's the next step? He's like, Oh, okay. So when are we going to see the surgeon? And when is this going to happen? And when is this going to happen? I'm like, Whoa, slow down. Like, you know, we joke like that a lot of our clients, like when you give them bad news, like they want to know what's going on in step Z and you're just like, it's step A. And I'm like, stop being a client. We have to get through like step B and C and D first. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but we will deal with this. Well, I, um, I find like, so, and this is a common thing that I've, I have learned <laughs> in women that have been diagnosed, that have received a diagnosis in breast cancer. Every single woman, for the most part, there's a few um, unicorns out there, <laughs> but for the most part, it's a time and a date that you can be like, I remember where I was at. I remember what time it was. I remember like, mm-hmm. I, like it was yesterday. And do you want to know why? It's because it's trauma. <laughs> Like, that's why the memory is so clear. It's also known as trauma. And so, like, I think it's so crazy because you like the next thing is like your husband wants to support you in this trauma. And you're like, no, I'm okay. (laughs) It's like, I'm like, so like we don't realize the trauma that was just put on us. Our husbands can see it. Our support system can see it. But we're like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. And I think it takes longer. And, and you know, you're just a year out now from that traumatic moment. And that's where we're learning at Barbells for Boobs that our community starts to understand the trauma after the trauma's done, right? Like, I think you're in this fight or fight mode of like, no, well, I'm kind of, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Until you're like, yeah. one day, two years later, you're going to be like, Oh my God, I'm tired. This is exhausting. <laughs> I'm putting on this front for what? <laughs> That's true. So you're right. <laughs> and then it's like, like for the next few, like for the next basically six, eight weeks, like until the surgery was done. I mean, I was such an emotional roller coaster. It was like, and it changed minute to minute. Like mm-hmm. I was like, I'll be fine. This isn't going to be a problem to like, oh my God, I'll be dead in six months. And it was just like all over the place. Um, and thank God my husband was much more stable than I was. And I mean, he had a couple of rough moments, but thankfully our rough moments weren't at the same time. <laughs> so that would have been a disaster, but yeah. So, okay. so it's January. You got all your, you got all your screening. You had the results from the biopsy. Um, what were like, where were you at in the diagnosis and the like beginning of the treatment when COVID hit? Um, my bilateral mastectomy was January 26th and then the world shut down or sorry, February 26th and the world shut down the middle of March. Yeah. The funny thing is, So the the surgery was on the 26th. My sister's wedding was March 14th. (laughs) And then the next Monday is when everything just closed. No more events. No more surgeries. Everyone go home. (laughs) I had to have a reconstruction because like they tried to do like this nipple sparing mastectomy, which didn't work. And then my skin started sloughing off. And I'm like, Oh my God, what if my nipples fall off in the middle of my sister's wedding? Like, what if I'm <laughs> <laughs> and my surgeon's like, no, no, just work. 
get back in. You're going to do a revision. I'm like, but what if he's like, no, your nipples aren't going to fall off in the middle of the ceremony. It's fine. <laughs> he's what I was worried about. <laughs> so, um, but, but he was fine. <laughs> the wedding was good. We made it through a wedding. The we wedding was, surgery. It was perfect. <laughs> Nothing fell out. What, uh, what stage, what stage did they diagnose you in? And like, what was that initial, like, cause I feel like was your initial treatment plan surgery and like, what did kind of that treatment plan look like for you? Um, well in surgery, I guess in, during surgery, um, they took out one lymph node and Androp, they thought the lymph node was clear. Turns out it wasn't. They had, um, when they sent it off for pathology, they found like a two millimeter micrometastasis. So I was classified as stage 3A because of my tumor size was like three and a half, no, it's five and a half centimeters. Um, And it was close to the chest wall. And then I had one positive lymph node. They, looking at like my Oncotype score and the KI67 score, so those tell you like, how fast the tumor is growing. Those were both pretty slow. So they didn't see the need to go back in and take more lymph nodes. Um, and they also didn't, my Oncotype score was nine. So they, it was the sort of thing where my medical oncologist didn't think that chemo would have any benefit. Thank goodness. So I was able to avoid that, but I did have to have radiation. It was awful. I remember when you were yeah. going through radiation. <laughs> oh, radiation was terrible. Radiation was awful. The um, I didn't think it was going to be that bad, um, you know, because you go in and they do all the markup stuff and like they lie you on this glorified trash bag filled with these chemicals to make a mold from your back, which is nice and warm when you're lying there. So you're lying there with this little like Pilates ring over your head and like it's all warm. Like, this isn't so bad. All right. And then, of course, they have to tattoo you to make sure the beam is lined up the whole time. And I'm not a stranger to tattoos. So I was expecting like, you know, the tattoo gun. They came at me with it. It felt like a giant needle. And they like dig it in your ribs and your sternum. It's just like, oh, wow, that hurt. That was how long, how would how, I expect um, How long is a radiation treatment? Does it vary? My treatments were probably less than 10 minutes. It took me longer to drive there, get changed and drive home. Um, but the actual treatment was super quick. Wow. And how many did you have? 28. And aren't they like consecutive, like 28 days? Yeah. yeah. Monday through Friday for 28. (laughs) (laughs) So I had the standing 745 in the morning appointment, you know, I drive there. It wasn't bad. After the first few, I got just tired, but everybody says that that happens. But about halfway through, my skin was really peeling off. And I remember just reaching out to you guys and being like, help. I need help with this. I can't get through this. And that's when you guys, um, you know, you hooked me up with Kay, who's just, she's amazing. She's so sweet. And she was such a big help getting me through. The rest okay, of the from um, Guam Kay? Yeah, yeah. Like message each other back in the middle of the night. It's like eleven o'clock at night, and we're like, "Hi," you know. She was amazing. Yeah, like, and I can't thank you guys enough for hooking me up with just the most wonderfully supportive people. I remember it was like right when I had joined you guys. I think I was doing the intake call, and I was talking to Charlene, and I was like. 
you know, we know a lot of people that have, you know, been out for a year, two years, five years, you know, after cancer diagnosis, but that's not long enough for me. Like I want somebody who's been out 10 or 20 years. And that's when you hooked me up with Kathy White and she's been... She's been awesome. She's been so helpful. <laughs> well, it's it's awesome because like we have just such an collection of like a, a like a collection of like just different types of um like well all women go through their own treatments, right? And then understanding what what you need and when you need it. And especially with our community when it comes to being physically active and that's the foundation of our community is you women want to have an active lifestyle. And so that's the one thing that bonds you all together. And then you add these layers on of like, okay, I also run or I also, um, you know, I, I'm a weightlifter. I do CrossFit. Like that's the commonality between everyone. But then it's like, okay, I also have radiation. So like, <laughs> like, okay, so I still go to the gym after I do this. And, um, and it's a, it's a special, I think, community because there's not one out there right now that I know of at least that's focused on physical activity and um, getting back to the gym and really being proactive about your health. Um, not, not like barbells removes and where you guys have that common bond. Yeah. I agree. How did you, how did you find us? Um, I knew about barbells for boobs because every year my box would do a, you know, the October mm-hmm. workouts, which I could never participate in because I used to work every Saturday, which is when they held the events. <laughs> this year I'm like, I'm taking off of work. <laughs> so I and then um, a friend of mine who I used to do Muay Thai with, Dana, um, she was involved. Like she went through this maybe about six or eight months before I did. And so I reached out to her and she also said, Hey, check out barbells for boobs. And I mean, the first thing I did was look through all the videos and read through the whole library because it was really helpful to say, okay, these things might happen Mm -hmm. and that's okay. This is like sort of normal. If you get really tired from radiation or if, you know, you get, you know, lymphedema or whatever it is. And here's how we can modify things. And that was great. And I was able to direct a few of my coaches there too, so that if they wanted to, they could, you know, look through it. A lot of, actually my coaches had already done that, which was really cool. (laughs) It's cool to see like something go full circle of like, you hear about a cause and you like know that your gym fundraises for them, which is one side of our, of our organization, right? Like, um, it's the way that our programs get funded, but then it's cool to see the other side and the actual results of the work and like really what those communities are funding. And it's like, that's what I really appreciate about really the work that we're doing now in with the RAD program, um, with resources after diagnosis is it's so tangible to our community. It's like, no, this is actually like, I'm a, I know what they're doing guys. I can tell you. (laughs) Like they're even more of an amazing organization than I knew of. (laughs) It's so good. So how, how did your husband do with like, you know, the full year of treatment? You said he was really traumatized in the beginning. Um, Talk about like kind of last year, I feel like there'd be so many changes with your profession, with COVID, being a mom and now going through treatments, everyone's at home. Like how, how did that, what happened with your family unit? Well, you know how, you know, after, so the double mastectomy was February 26th and, you know, they say, oh, take six to eight weeks off, you know, to heal and recover. 
So, and my husband had taken two weeks off of work, which was so helpful. So he really, you know, was the one to watch after our daughter who had just turned four at the time. Um, you know, he, you know, he dealt with meals and food and just basically he let me sleep for as long as I needed, which is really what my body needed. Um, so two weeks later, my sister's wedding, the world shuts down. He goes back to work. My daughter's school closes and I am home full time with a four year old. You're like, thanks, world. Didn't see this coming. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, that's, that's something. Oh, God. So, yeah, we had built her a Barbie dream house like the night before my surgery because my mom came into town for a couple of days. So, we figured at least when I'm at the hospital overnight, you know, in the first days of recovering, like Tegan will have something fun to do. So, there was a lot of playing with the Barbie dream house. <laughs> so much. Thank you, Dreamhouse. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, recheck appointments got really tricky because I had tried, you know, I tried to plan even before surgery. I tried to plan, you know, the doctor's appointments, the imaging studies, all that stuff for when teen was in school. But that wasn't an option. And even before surgery, like we hadn't told her right away what was going on. And she started like acting out really weird things that just weren't typical for her, like tantrums and just being defiant, like more than normal. And so I was like, so I sat her down. I was like, sweetie, mommy has a boo-boo in her boobie and I've been going to the doctors and they're going to take it out and make it better. And she goes, okay. And that was it. Tantrums done. Do you, th- do you feel like she maybe like sensed your energy was elsewhere? And not focused on her. That was probably it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And I think it was at some point before surgery, I was like, okay, sweetie, you know, oh, she was getting out of the bathtub. And I was like, you know, I'm having surgery next week. And after surgery, I won't be able to pick you up for a few weeks. And she goes, okay. She's like, and I won't. And I'm like, I was like, you know, daddy will take you to school because I won't be able to drive either. She goes, oh, like an old lady. (laughs) Why are kids so honest? So she goes, so mommy, what color are they going to be? Your new boobies, what color are they going to be? I'm like, I don't know, just regular color. She's like, I think you should have rainbow boobies. You should ask your doctor if you can have rainbow boobies. And I go, okay. I'll ask my doctor. Coming right up. I'm going to get you some rainbow boobies, baby. How so one day I'm gonna get like a rainbow tattooed, and when she's How married, I'm gonna be like, "Look what you did!" <laughs> yeah, you made me too. Like, how old was she when you stopped breastfeeding? Three. She was three, and that's mm-hmm. when you went at the mammogram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Isn't it crazy to think that you had cancer while she was breastfeeding? Isn't that it? Is a wild thought. Yeah, it is. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Like it's so like, much of oh breastfeeding. Like, like, did I give her something in my milk? Like, like almost. I would. I would think that. Of like, did you drink it? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I never really thought about that until now. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
where my mind goes, you know? That's how I would have thought, like, oh my God, <laughs> did I give it to you? <laughs> she's good though. She's safe. She's out of harm's way. I've seen her on Radwatch. She's good. <laughs> oh yeah, she's fine. <laughs> she's fine. So did your schedule, like, did your... Like I know you had 28 radiations I and I know you were participating in some of our workouts and um, during that time, like how did it change? Because I know you were going to a CrossFit gym. I know you go to a CrossFit gym. What did your kind of fitness, how did that change in this last year? It was interesting because I, you know, I didn't know how long I was going to be out of the gym. And I mean... I couldn't believe it. I was cleared to work out like almost three weeks after um, my surgery, my first surgery. So at that point, the gym had closed down and they were doing Zoom wads as well. So that afternoon, I'm like, hey, I'm back. Scaled it like a boss, but I'm back. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I'm queen, but I'm here. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was it. So I kind of was it, it was nice to be able to still be with the community, um, you know, whether it's doing the Zoom workouts with my gym or with you guys. It was just nice seeing people. Mm-hmm. And still being able to work out with them and, you know, push yourself to as much as my body was feeling, feeling it that day, but just still having that, that support group and that camaraderie was really awesome. Yeah. I feel like it's, um, you know, I think that I always like to look at the good in life. Right. And so you look at what's happened with COVID and, and it's really, I think that it's giving us the opportunity to get really comfortable in doing what we normally do, like in a different way. So like you going through recovery of your surgeries and radiation, a non COVID world, we wouldn't have had a zoom class. Your your community wouldn't have had a zoom class. Like you, like the fact that you had all of this accessible to you at home and where you were kind of, you could be scheduled in your own time in your own space. Like, and now that's a result. Like now we have zoom classes for women in that situation or just to make it more available. Um, it's kind of like a trip, like to know that a year ago, none of us had access to this. And now it's like, it's right at your fingertips to hop onto a class yeah. and fill your community and feel that sense of belonging um, from home. Yeah. It's almost like it always should have been there. It's just, we didn't know that there was such a need for it. And now you can't imagine life without it. Yeah. It's kind of like some fucked up shit had to happen for us to realize. <laughs> Oh, we can connect, not having to get on planes or, you know, but whatever. We, you know, we like to learn things the hard ways. (laughs) So with all that, what would you say, like, what has been your biggest lesson from breast cancer? To, like... Just take notice of like, I couldn't believe what a big support group I had, you know, my friends, my gym group, like, you know, you guys, like, I just didn't know it was out there and kind of being able, like, especially on those really bad days when you just, you feel like you're kind of all alone in this 
miserable hole. You know, you've got drains coming out. You're haven't showered in days. You're, you know, somewhere hopped up on Percocet. You feel like, you know, everything is miserable. And you're like, no, actually, I have a really amazing group of people that are also, you know, really invested in me. And it's really not that bad. Like, put on your big girl pants and suck it up. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. And I think that you we all appreciate all the yeah, I think that we walk around not realizing how much support we have day in and day out because it's so easy to kind of like focus on the negative or get kind of overwhelmed in your own little world. And and I'm actually learning this. This is actually something I'm working on right now as you talk about a support group of like... Um, it's, I think that for women, specifically for me, it's really hard to ask for help. Like, it's so hard for me to be like, yes. Hey, I need help with this. Like, it's, it's like, I would all, all like just have a mental breakdown before I ask for help, which is something I'm working on. And so when you, I think that when you have a diagnosis like breast cancer, that you, that when you're open with it and you share it with your group, um, they're going to show up for you, you know? And then that's when you really like, when you're in this, um, when trauma does hit, that's when you realize your support group. But I think that the lesson is like, we don't have to wait for trauma. Like we have these great support systems. Like let's, let's reach out to them more and like ask for help and create that unity more often than wait for trauma to hit, you know? So it's like, no, but you, but it's such a beautiful gift when you see the support that you have. I mean, I saw it like the day you set up your fundraising page. I was like, did you see what Kristen did today? <laughs> like, where are she did it like in a day. What is going on here? She did it in a day. <laughs> that, I, I just, it was like, I was like, okay, well, let me just set up this fundraiser page. And by the time I got back from the gym that morning, it was like, what? what? I know. I saw it. I was like, what just happened on her page? <laughs> because people want to help, you know, and they don't know how to help. You know, in some ways, it's so much easier being the patient than the support system because as a patient, you just go from step to step to step. And, you know, as a support group, you're like, what do I do? What do I say? What don't I do? What don't I say? You know, and. Well, me being, me being a support group, like me not knowing what to do for my friend, because I, me wanting to help Sessie and my sister and me not knowing what to do. It's called barbells for boobs. <laughs> like that was yeah. how I had to say, this is how I'm going to help you and support you. Even though in the beginning, it didn't help my friend originally. Now it does. Like now I'm, I'm thankful that she's a part of our, our rad programs. But, um, yeah, I think you're right is we, the people that are the support group, the spectators of what's happening want to help. They have just, you're just like, what do I, what do I do? And so. By you putting up a page, it gives people the, it gave people a way to say, oh, this is how I help her. And uh -huh. if this is important to her, I'm going to support this because I want to help her. And that's what it shows is how many people really want to help you and support you, which is, is incredible to watch. I was like, <laughs> like she's going to set a Farmhouse Rooms record today. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was really incredible. Yeah. So. Right. Well, is there anything else that you want to share? You are one year out. <laughs> yeah. um, so my next surgery is actually March 18th. I get the expanders out. Hey! Oh! 
So wow. I'm looking forward to getting that part done. And um, are you going to do full reconstruction? I don't know. I'm, I haven't decided yet. I don't really mind not having nipples. Like, it doesn't seem to care. It's less I have to worry about when I'm, you know, in public. So, yeah. I, care. I might get tattooed at some point. More tattoos. Rainbows. <laughs> Rainbows. <laughs> Maybe a uniform or not. <laughs> but, um, no, you know, the whole, like, getting on the whole, because, you know, Everybody's like, oh, so, you know, you're cured. You know, you don't have cancer anymore. I'm kind of like, I don't know that. You know, because I don't know if anybody ever knows that. But, you know, I'm on these hormone blockers. I'm on Lupron injections monthly. I'm on Anastas all daily. Um, so I got to go through the chemically induced menopause, which, yay. I mean, the hot flashes are one thing. The sudden rage was a whole nother thing I didn't know about. But anyway, it's it's, it's getting better. Um, but, you know, something I've learned is, like, I feel like before my diagnosis, I really wanted to be in control. Like, I liked, have, I liked being in control of things. And this has taught me that I, I'm, I'm not, just to go with it. <laughs> And, you know, and be like, oh, you're cured. I'm like, I don't know, but I'm okay living with the unknown. Like that's, mm. that's something that's changed about me is I used to either, I have to know, you know, is it all gone? Do I have it? Is it going to come back? You know, it should be like, I don't know. And I'm okay that I don't know. Wow. Just to go with it and enjoy every day. And, you know, when something crops up, you deal with it. That's such a, I mean, it's such a valuable lesson learned, you know, like, the, and again, unfortunately, these traumatic things have to happen for us to have these life lessons. And that's what I think why we call it life. But I mean, even just listening, you know, for me, it's, it's taking this, you were diagnosed January last year, we're just over a year out. And what I want people to hear and take away from your story is your next surgery is still in March. Like people think that it's, you know, you, you, you get this cancer diagnosis, you get some treatment and you're done. And it's like this wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And it's not, it's this ever, you know, it's like hot flashes at night. Like that's going to go on for a very long time and like <laughs> all the scars and all these things. And, and I, and I hope that this exposes people to the idea that breast cancer, don't just worry about somebody's diagnosis the first six months, you know, like yeah. this is something that you're going to cope with the, the like results of the trauma for the rest of your life, um, mm -hmm. how you cope with it and how you deal with it and how you control it will be different for every woman, but, um, it is going to be something that's a part of who you are every day, right? Like who you become, it's going to be a piece to something that you've lived through, something that you've gone through, something that you'll be able to now in 10 years share with somebody that, you know, just got diagnosed and, and then you'll, it's going to be a part of who you are for the rest of your life, whether you like it or not, or whether women want to admit that or not. It um, not be part of this club, but Hey, you know, it is. <laughs> trust me. I want out. I want out. How do I get out? <laughs> but if I have to remember, then I'm glad I'm out. You can't. You're not out. You'll never. Nobody will ever open the door and let you out. It like you're stuck. You're here. We might as well have fun while we're here. Um, <laughs> so that's what people don't get. And 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 you get women. We have women that are ten years out that are still like, fuck. People don't understand. And I'm like, no, they don't. We do. 
come, don't, don't try to leave. I see you by the door. You're not done. Like, <laughs> I see you over there. Get back in here. <laughs> it's locked. You can't get out. It's locked from the outside. You can't get out. <laughs> Trust me. I'm trying to leave. And like, you know, and it, it's the thing is like every night when I take my anastrozole, it's like, it's a daily reminder that, yeah, this isn't done. Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be going on for a while, forever. Forever. That's yeah. Okay. And again, how you cope with it, how you deal with it, how you um, and go about your day with that, living with it is up to you. And that's all. At Barbell Shrews, we just want to, we want you to have fun. You know, <laughs> we want you to, again, like be real with yourself, be honest and know that when you have that meltdown that we do understand, you know, you have an entire community of women that understand it and all the different dynamics that, that it is. So, um, yeah, it's awesome. But it could always be worse. <laughs> it can always be worse. <laughs> well, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your story, for waiting for our tag team to come through, um, for, <laughs> for helping me recover my dog. Um, no, for all of it you do. We, we're just, you're, we're so blessed to have you part of our community. I'm grateful to have you guys uh, too. Of course, man. For all that you do, really. No, we can't. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a full circle, right? Like we get to do what we get to do because you do what you do, and then when the next woman gets diagnosed, we're like, "Come on in, we got you, girl." Oh, and the police. So remember, you guys sent out that paper, like you know, have your doctor sign this, you know, blah blah blah. So I brought it to my plastic surgeon. He's like, "Oh yeah, I know about them." Like it wasn't like, "Who are these people?" It was. I was like, "I knew I liked you." Like, yeah, yeah, like well, that's the goal. Is that, yeah, the the goal is is that we become a part of the norm, so that way I don't think your plastic surgeon knows what to do for your pull ups or to you know for your kettlebell swing. You know, like the, you shouldn't have to like send them our way. And so building that bridge between the medical world and our world, it, that's why we have you guys do that, so we can start connecting those dots, so that more oncologists know, more plastic surgeons know. Hey, there's this program that will help you if you're physically active or you want to get back to the gym and not feel crazy about that. Because a lot of women are told that they're crazy, that they want to do a pull up after a double mastectomy. It's like, no, you're not. It's totally normal to me. <laughs> it's total. That's standard. I don't want to be, I want to do pull ups till I die. So yeah. what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, Z. This, I, I love you. You're amazing. This is awesome. Um, once again, thank you so much. Um, big shout out to the team here at Barbells for Boobs. Um, we've got them all chimed in. Everybody wanted to be a part of Kristen's podcast today. Um, I got the whole crew that showed up on this Sunday. Um, but uh, is there anywhere on the socials that people can find you, follow you? I know you're private. So if you don't want to share your socials, it's totally fine. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not hard to find. <laughs> Not hard to find. She's there. She's available. Um, so everyone remember the lesson from Kristen today. Just go with it. Just go. Just go with the flow. You cannot control everything. And it's okay to not know. It's okay. It's okay to not know. <laughs> well, thank you, Kristen, once again. 
Um, this was a blast to actually get your story and get a little recap of this year. Um, it feels like yesterday you joined our community, so I can't believe it's been a year. But that is lights out for Barbells for Boobs. Good night.